it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone, on the road in New Hampshire. Believe the guy with the very deep voice. As I tell you, we are on the road where it's real cold, but it's cold winter. Uh, not nearly as bad, I understand, from everyone telling me how bad Iowa was, but this should not be a hindrance to uh, to the primary, which is 24 hours away. This hour, we're going to be joined by Charles Payne. He's going to be here in studio in New Hampshire. He's the host of Making Money. And we'll be taking your calls at one 408 Thanks to everyone who came out in Juliet, Illinois last night to see uh, our show that was streamed on Fox Nation. It was great to see everybody in person and to find out exactly what you think is wrong and right in America. Keep in mind, you can always watch or listen to the show on the Fox News app. Hear the show live. Just click on Watch on the Fox News app. You look at the headsets if you're on your phone. Plus, get the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. So before we get started, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What you have is a systematic attempt to use their power to set up a a series of obstacles so significant that they believe it would tear down the opposition that they fear would, would take their power from them. Uh, there you go. That was Brett Tolman. Uh, Trump on trial. The corruption involved in the Georgia case and the latest chapter in the Eugene Carroll case. It's clear there is a mission to stop Trump any way possible. How could you say you want to match up with Trump in the fall, but yet try to destroy him through the winter? Number two. I think Biden. President Biden has the strongest record to run on that we've seen in a very long time in this country. There is a lot of anxiety in this country about prices. That's why we need to continue the work that we've done. Senator Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, the Democrat, obviously, 33 percent. That's the new embarrassing approval rating of the president of the United States. It's the all time lowest of any sitting president. With that terrible decision to skip the New Hampshire primary, it's just a valuable state that he needs if he wants to win the Electoral College. We're going to look at Dean Phillips' hopes and a no-labels future. The Dems are showing signs of panic. Number one. I am today suspending my campaign. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement. Yep, there he goes. Governor DeSantis is out, and he's in for Trump. Then there were two. Haley's holding on and hoping for a miraculous win in New Hampshire when the field with the feeling on the ground and the polls screams Trump with just hours to go until we can finally get the voting underway. And that's really it. I mean, if you look at the polls right now, real clear average is 54-37 Trump. If you look at the uh, the if you look at the advantage that he had in Iowa, it's a 30-point win. People want to talk about the turnout. But when you when it's fait complete and it's minus 12 degrees, you have to wonder, as tough as these Iowa people were, did they think twice about coming out to caucus? And now in New Hampshire, I think it'll be a different story. I think the turnout will be high. That will wipe out a talking point. 62% of the people found uh, in New Hampshire voters who selected DeSantis will most likely go with Trump. 30% say they'll go with Haley. Here's how it sounded as Ron DeSantis called it quits. Cut one. I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. 
It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. See, I, I don't think she represents that. I think he, I feel it feels though he sees more eye to eye with Trump. But I don't think Nikki Haley, if you don't want Nikki Haley, that's fine. But don't think it's because she's too moderate for you. She happens to be a candidate more palatable to moderates. It doesn't mean she's more moderate. She's considered a Tea Party conservative. That's how she got the job and upset everyone in South Carolina. But when the president of the United, former president of the United States took all those South Carolina lawmakers and Senator Tim Scott and Governor uh, McMaster and rolled them all out, it was almost as if to say, I'm going to beat you in New Hampshire and it's not going to get any better for you in South Carolina. Think twice. That, I thought, was a really good move. Here's what Trump had to say about Nikki Haley. Cut five. The radical left Democrats are supporting Nikki for a very simple reason, because they know she's easy to beat. Uh, she, they came out with a poll two days ago where she's way down to Biden, and I'm way up on Biden. And that's the way it is. She's unelectable. Well, let's see. Uh, there's so many analysis. There's so many so-called experts weighing in. Here's Nikki Haley, though, taking on Donald Trump, who's now setting his sights on her. Cut 12. But this goes back to a pattern. I mean, we saw this over and over again. It's not just that. He congratulated China's President Xi a dozen times after China gave us COVID. He congratulated the Chinese um, Communist Party on their 70th anniversary. We don't congratulate the Communist Chinese Party. I remember at the United Nations, mm -hmm. I had to sit him down and tell him to stop this bromance with Putin. I mean, you can't have someone who's trying to buddy up with dictators that want to kill us. Instead, you have to let them know what we expect of them. Just interesting uh, to get all these perspectives. She is not backing down. She brought up his mental health, that he's too old. She brought up she didn't uh, like that she had to sit, down, sit him down and say, stop the bromance with Vladimir Putin. So if that is not somebody that says, let me pull back and become vice president, I don't see it. But I sat down with Pierce Morgan on Saturday, and one of the main reasons I thought he was so valuable to lead the show with is because I want to get a perspective from overseas. What do, what do they think about him in England? What do they think about in France? What do they think about over in uh, NATO? And here's what Pierce Morgan said about what he's seen so far that's even shocked him. Cut 18. Sinatra was thrown to the wolves in the late 40s, thought his career was over, all done and dusted. And then, boom, he comes back from here to eternity. He wins an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, and his career becomes one of the most iconic in the history of American celebrity show business. Donald Trump is on the verge of pulling off a similar comeback. Because I think if it's Trump v. Biden, I think right now, looking at all the polling for Biden, looking at the state of him, unable to basically string a sentence together or walk in a straight line without falling over, my money would be on Donald Trump to win. And if he gets back in the White House, it is the greatest comeback in American political history. Right. And I think Pierce Morgan, that's why he's a great broadcaster. He likes to boil things down and put it in perspective. And he, meanwhile, he thought when he was at Mar-a-Lago and interviewed him and they had that explosive interview, he said, well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Donald Trump is done. And he admits he was wrong. 
but that's what makes him so fascinating and Trump so interesting. They'll be talking, whatever you think of Donald Trump, they'll be talking about it for the next hundred years. Listen, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Ben Midley. He's the CEO and founder of Crunch Fitness. He's right from this area, knows what the people here think, knows the value and the patriotism that run through places like New Hampshire. Uh, we'll talk to him in the bottom of the hour, Charles Payne, and then open up the phones. We'll continue to follow the news. There was a poll that just came out I'm going to share with you at the top of the hour because it is even more very good news for Donald Trump. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. On the road to 2024, the New Hampshire primary. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. He has my endorsement. He was very gracious and he endorsed me. I appreciate that. The two-person race is on. He's just not at the same level he was at 2016. I think we're seeing some of that. Keep it here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. We're in a beautiful area right here in New Hampshire, and we're having a great time knowing we're counting down to the big primary, where if you talk to anybody about the issues that matter most, it's number one for Republicans is immigration. Number two is the economy. For Democrats, it's the economy. Number two is immigration. Ben Midgley is somebody with knee-deep in in our economy. He's the CEO and founding partner of Crunch Fitness, uh, now franchising. Now, the franchise has come out of Portsmouth, Ben, right? But you were founded in New York City, the first Crunch ever? Yeah, first Crunch was in the uh, East Village of New York about just over 30 years ago. Wow. And then what was the image of Crunch back then? And why why did you think it was ripe for for franchising? Well, Crunch Fitness years ago was uh, founded on a – uh, a judge, uh, philosophy of no judgments, which is really our background. So everyone's welcome at the club, and uh, we try to make everyone feel as comfortable as possible as they can, which uh, working on health clubs sometimes is uh, an intimidating thing for people to do, to, to get in there and start working out with folks if you're not in shape or you don't know what you're doing. So Crunch really founded the movement to make sure people feel comfortable around uh, any environment. And uh, the company grew to about 30 clubs all the way through about 2010. And then in 2010, the company uh, went through a bit of a bankruptcy at that point. It was pre-planned and then re-emerged, and we started the franchise company in 2010. And uh, when the company came out of bankruptcy, we had about 28 clubs. Since then, we've uh, sort of reinvigorated the brand, and now we've grown to about 460 clubs. And we just recently were named the number one fitness franchise on the Entrepreneur 500. We've got about... Uh, two two and a half million members, forty one states and six countries now. Wow, how does that feel? Feels fantastic. I mean, we've got a wonderful uh, group of franchisees. We've got a tremendous uh, team inside of Crunch and two and a half million loyal members who really are, uh, you know, rave, raving fans. You've heard that term before about the business, and uh, we've grown about seventy to eighty percent in membership growth since our pre-COVID numbers, which is really better than any other fitness company out there. Have you come back from COVID? Uh, we were actually the only fitness company who grew our membership during COVID uh, worldwide. So that's that's really a big accolade for us. And that's because the franchisees did such a great job. And we tilted towards streaming right away. We already had that service for our members. So we uh, we had a lot of ways to keep our members engaged. 
but since then, uh, the membership has grown dramatically. You know, we far outpaced any of our competitors in the industry. So we're about uh, 70, 80% up over pre-COVID numbers right now. So tell me about Portsmouth, New Hampshire. What do people care about here? Well, Portsmouth, like I'm from Maine, and uh, we work uh, we work out of Portsmouth. It's, it's very down-to-earth. It's very value-based. Uh, folks really don't care about... Uh, your background or how much money you have. They just really care about your character, you know, and your personality and, um, you know, how you, uh, how you look at the world from, uh, from that perspective. And everyone's pretty much balanced. So when people talk about an independent streak in this area, mm-hmm. what do they mean? Well, I, I think in law, at least northern New England, um, if I'm going to talk, you know, Personally, uh, most folks really don't care where you stand, whether it's Democrat or Republican. They, they more care about your values, right? Um, how do you communicate with people? How do you value people? And, um, you know, what positions you have um, in terms of uh, you know, just personal well-being for everybody. Right. Uh, so it seems, that, it seems that way. There's a lot of space. A lot of people take an active, um, uh, active role in government. For, for you personally, your success in business what about, I mean, they say the founding father's image was, you know, to serve and go into some type of political service. And then you go back into public life. They never really meant it to be a 60-year career, which so many in Congress have. Have you thought about that? Myself personally? Yeah. Uh, running for politics or on that? Running for politics. Uh, I've certainly you know, considered it. Uh, my, my first and foremost uh, responsibility right now is uh, being the CEO of Crunch Fitness and making sure we have a successful run, which we do. Um, down the road, is that something I'd be looking at? Uh, you know, it certainly sounds interesting to me, and I think what's important uh, for the future is that people really get to sit down and talk to each other and uh, find ways to compromise, which it seems there's certainly a path there. It's just been challenging for both sides to come together for a while. So when you look at uh, starting a business today, uh, it would be great to have a business person in the White House or in the Senate or in Congress. You think labor costs are one of the keys. You having trouble still filling out your gym, your, your gym force? Different, staff? different parts of the country are, are more challenged than others. California, uh, New York, uh, and most of the larger cities, uh, minimum wage is going up uh, fairly substantially. How does that affect a business uh, like this? Well, depending on how many employees you have in the business, it's going to affect your profit margins. Uh, a lot of... Um, you know, independent franchises, because uh, all franchises are independently owned, or small businesses uh, really struggle with the cost of uh, labor increases. In some markets, uh, $15 is becoming the norm for the most part, and, and I think most businesses can absorb that. But as you get up into 17, 18, 19, 20, it's going to be very challenging for these folks to keep as many people employed as they had in the past. So what people don't fully understand is what if you are making 15 and all of a sudden, that becomes minimum wage. You got to bump those people up, and if you're not, you're going to have some uh, very disenchanted employees. Do people not think about that? Do politicians not think about that? Well, I think uh, depending, you know, where you are politically, you're, you know, you're trying to uh, keep a lot of people happy, right? If you're if you're forcing wages wages to raise uh, for the the employees of the businesses, that's technically good for the employees, but the free market should be the uh, the driving force between. Uh, that's raising wages for uh, employees and uh, getting people more on a level level footing. Ben Middlebeats here. He's the CEO and founding partner with Crunch Fitness uh, Franchising uh, right here from Portsmouth, uh, New Hampshire. But, Ben, when you look at what's happening right now in the country, you have a big push to get healthy, and a lot of people are taking the shortcut, some people think, and mm. taking Ozempic, and they're losing weight. Uh, I talked to a lot of people say, I was talking to Jake Steinfeld over the weekend. He goes, it doesn't feel right. 
In life, there's no shortcuts. Is that a shortcut? Are you seeing that a lot? What do you say to people who are getting frustrated and feel as though that could be a quick fix? Well, I th- I think for folks that you know want to lose weight and want to get in shape, as long as as long as the drug is safe, we certainly don't have any judgment about that. And I think it's you know it's a really important issue for people. So if you use that and it works for you, then great. That's fantastic. The thing about any of those drugs is you really need to stay up on your strength training uh, in order to get yourself some long-term consistent gains from that and and maintain your healthy lifestyle. If you just try that drug over the long term, it's probably going to be challenging for you to uh, maintain that healthy lifestyle. So you've really got to get exercise in there so you can capitalize on that. So what's the hottest thing right now? I mean, you have the uh, I see more people working out in a non-traditional way with their apps in a gym and not even sometimes using their equipment. What is the how do you what is the cutting edge thing now that's got you guys most intrigued at Crunch? Uh, the hottest thing right now is strength training. It really wasn't years ago, but a lot of gyms across the country are removing uh, a good amount of cardio equipment and they're replacing them with power racks and uh, really oh yeah. Well, where, where did that come from? I don't know if it's uh, really what drove it, but certainly over COVID, you saw a high increase of women getting involved in strength training. So if you go into our clubs now, some of them have 12, 15 power racks. It's, it's not uncommon to see all of them filled with women doing you know, deadlifts or squats or um, clean and jerks, uh, any type of really uh, forceful powerlifting exercises. And that's been a really a great trend. I mean, it's great to see people getting engaged in that because the more you build muscle strength, you keep osteoporosis away, you really improve your flexibility and your overall stamina. So it's a, it's a really good trend from a health and fitness standpoint. Which is so interesting, too, because when people talk about aging, they, instead of saying, well, we've got this new, you know, this is new and this is new, they go back to the basics. If you can keep your muscle tone the best as possible, you build strength, that's the best way to age gracefully. Some think. Do you agree? I do. I mean, I'm yeah, 50, look at the size I'm, of you. I'm 54 now and uh, certainly have more aches and pains than I used to. But if, but if I wasn't strength training, I think things would be a lot different. Right. So when you open a franchise, what would it take to open up a franchise right now? Let's say in a major city as opposed to a, a suburb. Yeah. The, uh, the, the cost for uh, a crunch fitness right now, depending on the square footage, which ranges from about 20,000 up to 60,000 square feet. Uh, probably ranges from about two and a half million up to five or six million, depending you know how large you uh, you build and where you build it. But uh, if you're going to build in a major city compared to some of the suburbs, you're probably looking at a you know twenty to twenty five percent increase of everything from yeah, the leasing, from from the people you got to pay to uh, the fine, not the fines, but the fees yep. that go along with it, and the taxes, permitting, sometimes union labor, things like that. So just things you have to consider if you want to open in a larger. And what do you get for that? You get a lot. You get the brand. You get the marketing. Oh, oh, full-on training. Yeah, you get a tremendous brand, obviously. You know, uh, we're getting a lot of national exposure right now. Uh, the training programs are extensive. Right. Uh, marketing is highly sophisticated. We have a large national marketing fund, which really helps you promote your business. And uh, right. we're there to support uh, franchisees all along the journey. Thank congratulations. Now, Allison, oftentimes you have trouble shopping for me. This would be a nice surprise. $2.5 million to get me a franchise. You don't even have to wrap it up. Would it be a certificate? Uh, sure, it? we could work that out. All yeah. right. It'll okay. be a surprise. I like surprise. Ben, great to uh, see thanks. you. Congratulations thanks. on all your success. Brian Kilmeade, Charles Payne, back from Fox Business in just a moment. Don't move. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
I think President Biden has the strongest record to run on that we've seen in a very long time in this country. I think um, there is a lot of anxiety in this country about prices. That's why we need to continue the work that we've done. But in addition to doing the bipartisan work, President Biden and Democrats have stood up to Big Pharma, for instance, to lower prescription drug prices. We are investing in clean energy and helping grandestators lower their energy costs. One of the many surrogates of Joe Biden, because the president of the United States doesn't really speak for himself much. He'll be speaking today with me right now is Charles Payne, who promises to speak. That's why we booked him. He has a lot to say. And you know about you know about his show that's coming up. Charles, what to, how many shows are you doing today? I lost track. They right. just point to somewhere and I go. All right. Uh, <laughs> FBN, he'll be doing uh, from two to three o'clock today. He's also host of Making Money. And Charles, your book is doing extremely well, too, right? It really, really is. The, the last book did about 350,000 copies. And this one is, is taken off. It's Unbreakable Investing. I think one of the reasons is people are starting to say, hey, I got to do something because no one believes Social Security is going to be there. And even if it is, it's not going to be enough. Right. I mean, to be quite frank, at the rate of inflation, that soundbite that, that we just heard coming into this segment. So at least people are trying to figure it out on their own. And that's, I think, one of the byproducts from COVID. You know, people, we were being herded. And I don't know a lot of people realize this into what they were calling the sharing economy. What it really means is no ownership. You own nothing. You have no way of advancing your economic prosperity. So the idea was don't own a home. Don't own a car. You know, one car on a block, everyone gets a nap and you'll share it. You know, and people were falling for all of that stuff. Then all of a sudden, you know, if you lived in a city, you were free, afraid to touch the elevator buttons. Like, okay, I don't know who was there before me. Then all of a sudden, home ownership blew up. And now the great thing is you can work from home. So you don't have to even be next to the city. You don't have to live in a cramped apartment. So the dynamics of the nation have changed. But people have said, okay, I'm going to take control uh, of, of my life. One of the things that stood out for me during COVID was when we ran out of preservative jars. People wanted to learn how to preserve food. So it's just sort of like I want to be independent, I want to control my life, and I don't want the powers that be that nudge me one way or the other because guess what? It didn't work for my parents, it didn't work for their parents, and it didn't work for those parents. And something's wrong because this is the wealthiest country in the world. How do I get a real piece of the action? And don't you think that's part of the reason why uh, many people are giving the Heisman to electric cars? Really? You're going to shut for they told us to stay home and not drive and all that crazy stuff. Well, imagine if you had an electric car and that city, that province, that state is control of the electric. Now all of a sudden you're stopping me from charging my car, therefore I am staying home and you do have control of my life. And we saw some of that in California last year. Right. Uh, and and I mean, there's so many things this winter. It's, it's it, the images of electric cars being stranded on the road. It's just horrifying. And batteries and not holding their batteries charge, not holding the charge. And, you know, here's the funny thing. Like they'll say, well, it gets this many miles. It will get that many miles in a test run where you don't have the radio on. You don't have the computer on. You start to use all the things on that dashboard and that number cuts in half. And guess what? Where's your next charging station? And by the way, when you get there, how long do you have to wait? Do you have an extra nine hours? Right. So it's, you know, the irony of all of this, we went through this before. In 1900, you had three forms of automobiles, steam, electric, and internal combustion engine. At the bottom was internal combustion engine. Number one and number two was steam and electric. They were vibing for number one and number two. All of a sudden, here comes Ford with the Model T. It's 600 bucks. It has this amazing range, right? The electric vehicles, just like then, just like then and now, they were like two grand back then. So by 1930, the last electric vehicle company, the Detroit Electric, went out of business. The consumer decided. The consumer was allowed to make a choice, and they made a choice. And guess what? We're not being allowed to make a choice this time, and that's frightening. That is so frightening. Meanwhile, do you Hertz, feel like we're pushing back? 
We are. We are. Because, listen, Hertz said they're going to sell one-third of their uh, uh, the electric fleet. All these grandiose schemes by General Motors and Ford, they say, okay, we're not going to try to go, you know. We are pushing back, but here's what I'm worried about. I don't know if we're pushing back enough. I've seen that the, there's a thing they call cafe standards, right? Uh, it's a car fleet, uh, the average uh, miles per hour, uh, miles per gallon for a fleet of cars that the government decides on. And these cafe standards over the years have gotten absurd, absolutely absurd. It's one of the reasons why vehicles are less safe. Because you have to make them with thinner materials, lighter materials, so they can go further. And you always have one clunker that could go like a million miles per gallon, but nobody wants to own it. Made of paper mache. <laughs> yeah, that you throw in the fleet just so they can don't don't. And so, but what happens is, why has this worked for the government? Why has the government, particularly Democratic government, has been allowed to do this? Because California always is the first one to do it. So now automakers are in a bind. We can't make a different set of cars for California, the largest, most popular state in the country. So they always fall into line. And this is what I'm concerned about. We need to get these states that, you know, that, 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 that what they're doing with electric has to be pushed back on. We need to see that to be the epicenter of the fight because it's being thrusted on us. And it's, pretty soon it will be law. Pretty soon it will be law that you it would be illegal to sell an, an internal combustion engine. Right. And in California, didn't they say that? Now, if you own a dealership right now, either you fill your dealership with electric cars, you go out of business. But if people aren't showing up to buy them, you're out of business. Right, right. It's a, so, it's a heck of a double-edged sword. You know, it's so interesting. I saw those cars. It was at the Detroit Ford, Muse- uh, Detroit Ford Museum, wasn't it? Yeah. And they showed all three cars converted at the same time with the electric car, the gas car, and the and the steam car. And, and they just said it, the combustion engine was more attractive. Like you said, Henry Ford goes, this is my ticket. And we did it. And yeah, we reacted. Yeah. They built, the roads got better. You know, we had the Roaring Twenties. People started making more money. Uh, we had greater prosperity. And guess what? It was okay. You could travel three three states over to see Grandma. It was an amazing thing. It liberated the country, right? So, you know, the idea of uh, this anxiety, we've always had this anxiety. No one wants the, 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 their vehicle to stop on a highway somewhere, you know? Right. So looking at the economy right now, you walked in. I say, well, how's the economy going? Well, the market just hit an all-time high. Right. But you said it's never been more detached from the regular, from the real economy. Absolutely. Even though we have 401Ks, many of us have 401Ks, and they are in the market. You know, here's the problem with the 401Ks. Um, I just had a town hall special last week, and I started off with this fact that people don't know about. Third quarter of last year, the average 401K was like 105700 bucks. Five years earlier, it was 105600 bucks. So, you know, listen, I want people in the stock market, but I prefer if they want to take it a little further, put a little bit of elbow grease in, to, do, to try to find the, even the, the names that do well. Because the way we do it now is we own, most people own the top 10 stocks. They also own the worst 10 stocks. So if you look at a year like 2022, when the market goes down 23%, you have to make 40% to break even from that. So, well, the, you yeah. know, so after time, all you need is a bad year every now and then. And it's what I, it's called passive investing. It, it's again, I'd rather have someone in the market than not, if they're not going to do anything, because just putting it in the bank is going to, you know, it's not going to do anything for you. But, you know, to take a step further, because people are not the dream and the hype. It's, it's not living up to the dreams and the hypes. So, so when you look at this election now, uh, people, they, they were saying that when Trump got elected, a lot of people panicked. That uh, the country, they were shocked that he won in 2016, and they panicked. They said, this is what I heard the statement coming in here uh, in the middle of the night. It's probably the 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was another network. And they say, we're not going to panic like we did last time. How, what is the perception of an American economy under Donald Trump? 
Well, the panic from an economic point of view lasted 10 minutes. <laughs> it really did. When they said Trump won, the market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down a thousand points in the futures. It didn't open, right? So it was overnight, these futures markets. What Donald Trump did as he came, he gave a really nice conciliatory acceptance. The market immediately turned around. This guy wasn't a dictator. He wasn't gone crazy. He was a gentleman. He said, thank you, Hillary. And the market immediately turned around and know what to focus on? Policy, not personality. Right. Immediately, immediately, the second half of November 2016 and the first half of December, National Association of Home Builders, their sentiment index rocketed up a record number. The stock market exploded higher. You know, again, on, that, on the town hall I did, what I, I showed people is like they always say, hey, how does the market perform under different presidents? It's such a specious thing because they start on Inauguration Day. The market doesn't move on Inauguration Day. The day after the election is when you take the pulse of it. Because if you just took it on Inauguration Day, Obama's first term was 77%. However, <laughs> however, if we took it on Election Day, it was only 45%. Why? Because after he was elected, the market got hammered because of policy and that personality. After Trump was elected, the market exploded. He didn't get any credit for that. In fact, Obama benefited from it, but the market wasn't exploding because Obama was going to be in office. He was gone. he's leaving. Right. The market exploded because they anticipated someone who was going to believe in America, believe in Americans, and mm -hmm. believe that the free market system worked. So I listened to President Trump this morning, and I'm supposed to catch up to him tonight. And one of the things he says, the first thing I'm going to do is drill, and I think that's great. But I did see totals. It says that we are drilling more now than ever. Now, Biden does not want to say that because it goes against his right. green flag. Right. What is the truth about that? Well, here's the thing. We're drilling more, but we have a lot fewer rigs. In other words, can we drill even more, and can we drill for better? Right now, the, the mix of our oil is really is not great. We get, we're, we're drilling some, some, some dirty stuff. The dirty stuff is harder to, to, um, to, to refine. And this is why, again, you know, if you hear the media like, well, they're drilling for more oil, why are prices higher? If you get a lower grade of oil, lower quality of oil, then you know what? It costs more money to refine that. When was the last time we had a new refinery in this country? 1970s, right? right? 1977. So, um, and, and by the way, the the, the stuff that, we, ironically, that we get the, the sweet crude, because we don't build any refineries for the sweet crude, we ship that off, which is fine. You know, if we can make some money on it. Uh, but so it's it's a it's an interesting argument. Um, how about we drill as much as we can? How, how about we bring those rigs back on? Right. There's no, why not go for 50 cent a gallon? You know, I mean, it's it's achievable. Why not unleash this? Because it is a gift. It is an absolute gift. America is a gift. If you look at our water, our, our, our tributaries, the, the Missouri, the Mississippi, the, the two oceans on both sides, just geographically, we, you know, if you just had an, uh, someone who came and studied the planet, not knowing anything about politics, economics, or anything, and said, look, which country was gifted? Had to look at each country the way it's established the, the geography. We have gifts. We have. We are so blessed. It's nuts not to take advantage of. And if you were smart, if you really believed in all this climate hysteria, you was. If you were smart, you would build a better bridge to mm -hmm. get from here to your client utopia, rather than brow, browbeat people and destroy the middle class. All right, Charles, uh, can you stick around? Sure. All right, we've got a couple more minutes. Charles' show is coming up at 2 o'clock on FBN. Are you subbing for anybody today? No, no, but I'm, doing, I'm on a lot of shows, though. Right, you're <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, all right, so we'll talk to Charles uh, Payne a little bit more about the economy. And also, Charles, you're doing everything now. You're doing so much more than business. I want you to play uh, play this out the next 24 hours when we come back because Donald Trump wants to lock this thing up with a double-digit win tonight. Is it possible? We'll find out when we return. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. One of the big bumps that Trump got out of Iowa was this electability number that we saw in those polls. More Republican voters think he's going to win in November, and that's what he needs. If he wins in New Hampshire, that will improve his ability to show voters that he is electable, that he can beat Joe Joe Biden in November, that he can bring the party together. So Charles Payne, our guest here, and Charles... Uh, when you with the one thing about Trump after 2022, when so many of his candidates did not do well, they said, you know, even if he gets the nomination, he can't win the general. Look at the headwinds. Look at the court cases that is going away in almost all the polls. And they're seeing it. He's been winning in, in Pennsylvania. He is actually winning in Michigan. He is actually winning in Georgia, places he lost in 2020. The electable thing is no longer something he can't scale. Now, it's, in fact, I think it's complete BS in, in general, right? Electability slash favorability. If you look at uh, all the candidates throughout history, the only ones who are negative are Biden, Trump, Hillary. In other words, it's something I think it's even a modern day uh, phenomenon because of the power. You know, there was yellow journalism in the past, but this is something completely different. And so, you know, and then, but prior to these more recent years, if you look at the other three, they all were people who lost. So it used to really be something, you know what I mean? Like, you know, people didn't like certain people. They didn't think they could have a beer with them, that kind of stuff. It really mattered. But I was looking at this not long ago, and, and the top four that had lost have been the nominees or have actually won uh, in, in recent elections. So I just think that doesn't matter as much. I think people are maybe finding, when they get into the booth or they, you know, when they start to really think about voting, it's one thing to say, you know, the mean tweets, uh, you know, this or the, the decorum, and then, you know, weigh that against my, my prosperity, my children's health. And, and so I, I, I just don't think that matters as much, you know. And this whole notion, listen, these experts have been so wrong. I, I got to tell you something. The, the, this is like I, I, the pundits and experts – from everything from the stock market to politics have been so completely wrong for so completely long. It's, it's, it's interesting they even get a platform anymore. But uh, just talk to people, right? I mean, <laughs> as far as those midterm elections, I think a lot of that was just the candidates, you know. I mean, you can't have a guy running in, in, in rugged Pennsylvania talking about chicordery boards and stuff. <laughs> it's just well, – it, it ain't going to work. That guy didn't even try. That guy didn't even try. It ain't going to work. Yeah. It ain't going to work. I mean, you know, you do, you still have to have a pretty viable candidate, you know what I right. mean? Right. Oh, you're talking about Senator, uh, Senator uh, uh, Oz, Oz. Oz. Oz, you know. But look at what Fetterman has done. I mean, Fetterman now sounds more like uh, a moderate to uh, center right. I got to applaud Fetterman, particularly on this uh, U.S. Steel deal. I am shocked that it's that it's they're so it's so quiet on both sides. I am a shocked. Japanese company bought U.S. Steel. They're buying it. They're in the process of it. It could be stopped. I am shocked. I am shocked and really ashamed that they're going to let this deal go through. This is crazy. Now, for a long time, and this really is on the right. You know the. Old school, right wing, orth- uh, economic orthodoxy has always held. Well, if China wants to make steel cheaper than us, let them do it. 
you know, it's just the idiocy. Like, okay, now we're at war with them. Where do we get the steel to make our battleships? You think they'll send it to us? Right. We saw it during the pandemic when the medicines that were created in America with American ingenuity, we were waiting on the shoreline for China to send them over. And they said, well, we'll see you some after we're done with it. <laughs> right? Right. So how dumb, how dumb has it been? So this whole reshoring, onshoring phenomena, this is another area. Trump gets no credit. No credit. This has been ama- absolutely amazing. And if we got to pay 10 cents more for something, so be it. Right. So be it. And, and you explain you. to the American people that it involves you with national security, they would understand it. Number two is, I want to ask you this. I get different opinions. Has cutting the corporate tax... Uh, with the, the the Trump tax cuts, was it bringing companies back? The, that was the image when he did his past his his, his the, big tax reform. The companies started coming back under Trump, uh, under Trump, and they came back a lot more. That the the trajectory began under President Trump, without a doubt. This whole reshoring, onshoring, or what they call nearshoring. Uh, ironically, Mexico, huge beneficiary of it, huge beneficiary of it, uh, and so uh, it absolutely began under Trump, and so did real prosperity. I just think about this for a moment. If you if you take if the government becomes the middleman and takes all those money from corporations, if they take a dollar, how much of that dollar will they actually put into society? Honestly, you know, ten cents. Right. I mean, you know, the rest of it goes to cronyism, favoritism. You know, whatever they do. Right. I mean, it's 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 nuts to want the cor- the U.S. government to be the middleman. The U.S. government became the middleman under Obama for college loans. What happened to college loans? They went. They became stratospheric. Now, college campuses look like amazing, look like many towns, many right. cities, right? So you don't want the government to be the middleman on anything, on anything, which is, by the way, not to even get too far off the subject, but one of the reasons why Bitcoin and, 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 and the, the, the you know blockchain, why that's so intriguing, because there's no middleman, no middle person. Gotcha. Uh, on, on your show today at 2? Yeah. We have, um, I got Jim Rickards, who's like a really intriguing economist. I don't know if you've ever had him on. This guy is absolutely amazing. And uh, we've and got, you. That's yeah, enough. Yeah, that's and enough. unbreakable prosperity. Unbreakable prosperity and the market's at new highs. So you know what? You don't have to love it or like it. Just take advantage of it. Charles Payne, <laughs> thanks so much. It's great to see you. Thanks, thanks for the quality time. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show on the road in New Hampshire. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Hi, Brian, Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for being here. This is just a, a great place to be right now. It, it feels like winter, but not unreasonable here in New Hampshire. If they do not show up at the polls, it's because they're indifferent about the election. It's not going to be because of weather. And I can't say the same thing about Iowa. We have so much to talk about. Nikki Haley's got a busy day. The president's going to be in court in New York City. But Nikki Haley's going to be in a meet and greet in Concord at, I just saw her in studio. So she just did Bill Hemmer and Dana Perino. At 10 o'clock, a meet and greet in Merrifield, uh, which is a uh, right near Franklin. Uh, then she's going to do a meet and greet in Concord. Same thing in Manchester. That's with the, at 2 o'clock. And at 3.45, goes to Wyndham. And at 6 o'clock, she holds a big rally in Salem. And for the President of the United States, he's going to be doing a rally tonight. It looks like I'm going to be with him to give you an idea behind the scenes with President Trump. We're going to bring back all the uncut version for all of us here. So let's get to the big three before we get to this hour, Charlie Hurt and Andrew Yang. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What you have is a systematic attempt to use their power 
to set up a, a series of obstacles so significant that they believe it would tear down the opposition that they fear would, would take their power from them. And that is Trump. It looks like Trump on trial. The corruption involving the Georgia case in the latest chapter in the E. Jean Carroll case today. It's clear there is a mission to stop Trump any way possible. Look at Colorado. Look at Maine. We're going to look at the likely GOP nominee and what they're facing. Number two. I think President Biden has the strongest record to run on that we've seen in a very long time in this country. There is a lot of anxiety in this country about prices. That's why we need to continue the work that we've done. There you go. Senator Maggie Hassan, a Democrat, 33 percent. That's the new embarrassing approval rating for Joe Biden as he lives with the terrible decision to skip the New Hampshire, New Hampshire primary because it's too white. We look at Dean Phillips' hopes and a no-labels future. Dems are showing signs of panic. Number one. I am today suspending my campaign. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement. Yep, just like that, Governor DeSantis drops out. It's stunning. Now they're two. DeSantis gone, Haley in, holding on, hoping for a miraculous win in New Hampshire when the feeling on the ground in the polls screams Trump. This is with 24 hours to go and, and as we analyze the stakes. I, I feel differently than most so-called experts. I don't think that Governor DeSantis did anything wrong. I mean, if you look, maybe he should have got in earlier, perhaps. If you say, well, he should have waited till 2028, really? Are you the same people saying Chris Christie should have jumped in in 2012 and have ignored uh, his own instincts that said that he wasn't ready yet? Well, those same people is the reason why 44-year-old Ron DeSantis said, I just had a resounding victory in a purple state. Uh, I think I should be the next nominee. I think I'm going to run. My favorables are strong. My conservative credentials are are solid. And then if you look at his strength at, with the issues that Republicans care most about, the border and uh, how he handled the pandemic, he had a reason to think he was going to do well. When people say he's not warm, that drives me the craziest. Why? Because I want someone who's going to solve problems that give me a hug. And maybe we have someone that can do both. But how about this? Here's the best example I can give. If Bill Clinton went to a hurricane victim, that he'd hug him, look him in the eye and say, how you doing? How can I help? And probably do nothing. With Ron DeSantis, he'd look him in the eye, he'd shake their hand and say, what kind of insurance do you have? What has the state done? What's it going to take to rebuild? Have you picked a construction company yet? What are the hindrances and blocks in your way? And then he would say, tell a staffer to get on it. And he would follow up. He is just somebody that wants to get things done. He's not the warm and squishy guy, let's say, the warmth of George W. Bush. And, uh, you know, I feel your pain, Bill Clinton. But I think he can live another day. I know we spent a lot of money. And people get on for private jets. How do you expect him to get back and forth to Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina quickly without a private jet? That's what he wanted to be able to do because he's still the governor of a state. Cut one. I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackage formed of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. So that is Ron DeSantis, who you know has been brawling with President Trump up until a couple of days ago. 
When Donald Trump gets word of it, here's what he says. Cut three. Before we begin, I'd like to take time to congratulate Ron DeSantis and really terrific person who had gotten to know his wife, Casey, for having run a great campaign for president. He did. He ran a, a really good campaign, I will tell you. It's not easy. They think it's easy doing this stuff, right? It's not easy. But as you know, he left the campaign trail today at 3 p.m., and in so doing, he was very gracious, and he endorsed me. So I appreciate it. I appreciate that. And what he's hoping for is that gives him maybe the 6% or 7% that, that DeSantis had would go to him and get him over 50 for the second consecutive contest, this being the first primary. And then if he's up 30, which he is, up 30 points in South Carolina, on the real clear average, he's up 54-37 overall. You wonder if Nikki Haley, even though she's already spent $4 million taking out digital ads, if she'll in fact stay in it. I'll tell you what. Another one, impressive. You watch her on the stump. You watch her taking questions. She's had some things she'd want to take back, the Civil War, for example. I understand that, saying that Iowa, uh, New Hampshire corrects what Iowa uh, produces. I understand that. But that's minor. But she's not only not given up, she's ratcheted up her attacks of the president, the former president, which is interesting because people said they were skeptical of her, how sincere she was, because... She had no problem uh, not answering the question, would you ever be vice president if you were asked? She didn't just say no. She didn't answer. And that's what Ron DeSantis said. She just running for vice president. But you don't do that because – and say the things that she has said over the last 24 hours. Listen to what she said about North Korea, not a Wambi. Remember, he was tortured before he was killed, University of Virginia, uh, Virginia student. Listen to Nikki Haley because the president since then – well, began, became friendly with Kim Jong-un, who many people think supervised his torture. Cut 11. I think it, this really does show the contrast. So I worked with Cindy and Fred Warmbier. They're amazing people. And I will tell you as a parent, no parent wants to see their child return to them the way they saw Otto returned. And the difference is I told Fred and Cindy, speak up, get loud, make sure I will help you. Let's partner. We're going to call North Korea out. I passed the largest set of sanctions against them in a generation by pushing China and Russia to do it. But what did Trump do? Instead, he talked about love letters going back and forth to Kim Jong-un. Cindy would contact me. She was so upset. And he went and said, oh, but Kim said that he wasn't aware of any torture that happened to Otto. All you had to do was look at Otto when he was returned back to his parents. It's tough. I mean, that's not somebody. You don't bring up Otto Wambier if you're getting out tomorrow. That's just it. And you don't bring up Otto Wambier, which clearly the, uh, the, you know, the governor's right about that. But the one thing President Trump did do, go out of his way to say, listen, I'm talking to Kim Jong-un, but don't think I forgot about Otto. And I thought that was okay, but she's saying behind the scenes it's not. But she brings it up. That's not something that's going to lead to her becoming vice president, ambassador again of something else. Just interesting. She also went on to say that his mental lapse over the weekend when he uh, condemned Nikki Haley for not sending uh, troops and security on January 6th instead of saying Nancy Pelosi. So she went on to say these guys are just too old. That's not what you say if you actually want somebody to bring you in to the fold and become a surrogate, to her credit. All right, listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a very special guest who's got some interesting perspective right now. Um, and, and I'll tell you why, because Andrew Yang ran for mayor of New York City 
and but he even though he didn't get it, he established himself as somebody who got the young vote. He's got the di- he's got the digital technology, and he also thinks this current president way too old. The Andrew Yang still a, a Democrat. He'll be giving us his perspective. Then Charlie Hurt, Fox News contributor, columnist for the Washington Times. You'll listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. On the road to 2024, the New Hampshire primary. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. He has my endorsement. He was very gracious and he endorsed me. I appreciate that. The two-person race is on. He's just not at the same level he was at 2016. I think we're seeing some of that. Keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There have been headlines in the last few hours about you calling President Biden weak. What did you mean by that? What are you saying? Well, the poll, I'm just reflecting what the polls are telling everybody. He's losing in every battleground state. He's behind in most national polls. And his approval numbers are at historic lows. Three points below Donald Trump at the same stage in his uh, presidency and nine points below Barack Obama. I mean, I don't know how anybody can look at these numbers and determine that he is anything but weak. And I think Tuesday night will once again show at a po- not just a poll, but an actual primary. Uh, if his numbers are below the typical 84, 81 percent that Clinton and Obama got, I think it's just more evidence of the fact that Democrats right now are diluted and we need a competition, not a coronation. And there you go. And that is uh, why Dean, uh, Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota uh, in Hampton, New Hampshire yesterday, was talking about running for president. He says, I just want to get on these ballots. The Democratic Party is trying to keep me out, and he does not get it. I talked to him on television an hour ago, and I talked to him often on camera. He's literally b- befuddled on how uh, the party is so afraid to admit that that, uh, that Joe Biden's got some problems in the polls and people should be allowed to run against him. Maybe Andrew Yang feels the same way, former presidential candidate. Uh, he is here with me right in studio. Andrew, great to see you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. New Hampshire, let's go. All right. And what generally do you mean by let's go? Just make sure you show up or? Well, New Hampshire, let's go and vote for my guy, Dean Phillips. Let's move on from Joe Biden uh, as the incumbent. Uh, I think uh, the state and the country are ready for a a different leader. What, What bothers you about him? I think so. This may differ from from some others. I mean, I, I think uh, he's accomplished uh, a significant amount, but I think he's the wrong candidate for twenty twenty four. I think in the general election he would lose to Donald Trump, as Dean has been making the case. I think there is a lot of frustration over the fact that the DNC has not played it straight up here in New Hampshire or in North Carolina or in Florida, where they're canceling primaries. I mean, how can you literally give a speech championing democracy on one hand and then turn around and suppress it? On the other, that is what is going on in this Democratic primary, and Dean Phillips is calling it out, and he's about to show everyone that people don't want just the the battle of the 80-year-olds. How do you know him? Dean and I met a couple of years ago uh, at a campaign finance reform event. He's a serving member of Congress. Uh, he said, look, I don't take PAC money. I don't take lobbyist money. I think it's terrible that all my colleagues uh, are – um, constantly scurrying off to dollar for dollars. And I heard this guy, and I was like, wow, uh, this is a member of Congress? I could get behind this. So we became friends, and then he publicly said what I think most people were thinking, which is Joe shouldn't run for re-election. He then got attacked for that, uh, which made me like him even more. Right. <laughs> so, so, so Dean and I have been friends for the last couple of years. Is it age or is it policy with, with Biden that has you so turned off? 
Uh, I, I think the two are blending together, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, someone in New Hampshire asked me what's the difference between Dean and Joe Biden. I said about 27 years. I mean, that that's like a pretty big gulf. Uh, imagine having a 55-year-old uh, uh, leader who's robust and can play hockey, uh, and you're not worried about them uh you know, heading into a retail establishment and campaigning. I mean, these are basics, but I've run for president. I think having an 81-year-old candidate would be a massive handicap uh, in the fall. So Senator Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, Democrat, said this. Cut 24. I think President Biden has the strongest record to run on that we've seen in a very long time in this country. I think um, there is a lot of anxiety in this country about prices. That's why we need to continue the work that we've done. But in addition to doing the bipartisan work, President Biden and Democrats have stood up to Big Pharma, for instance, to lower prescription drug prices. We are investing in clean energy and helping grand estaters lower their energy costs. Did she effectively counter your argument? I don't think she did. She, she did particularly uh, on several levels. I mean, I, I'm someone who agrees that America needs to be more affordable. Uh, and I think the best way to do that is to have a new chief executive who is more in touch with uh, what's happening in the country, who wants to do things like uh, have a universal health care system, have baby bonds, uh, bring back the enhanced child tax credit, all of which are on Dean's platform. Um, Maggie Hassan is acting like you need Joe Biden in office to solve these problems. And I think if Joe Biden even were to win re-election, which again, I do not think would happen against Trump, uh, you'd wind up with a sharply divided Congress that's likely to get very, very little done. Dean is the second most bipartisan member of Congress on record right now. Uh, and he's going to have a nonpartisan, bipartisan cabinet. He's going to bring in people from outside of government. He's actually going to be much, much better positioned to solve some of these problems. But yet he voted with Joe Biden every step of the way. Uh, you know, uh, if you like a policy and, and like I can't um, speak for Dean's perspective on all of this, but I happen to like a lot of Joe's policies. And if Dean becomes president, he's going to be. A problem solver, as he was as a leader of the Problem Solvers Caucus, um, he's obviously not afraid to flout the party. I mean, he's running against the sitting president right now. Like, you can imagine all the slings and arrows that are coming out for this guy. He's got a a backbone like a steel rod. Uh, And so when the party is going astray, he'll call it out, like the border. He thinks what's happening on the border right now is backward and ridiculous. He wants to do common sense things like establish a buffer zone, have people apply for asylum in their own country, as opposed to having to come into the U.S. to apply for asylum. We have uh, Byzantine nonsensical policies on the border that Democrats constantly ignore or apologize for. And you know who's calling it out? Dean Phillips. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, one thing is pretty clear. 33% approved rating according to ABC for the President of the United States. But in New Hampshire, as a write-in candidate, Andrew Yang, he gets 60, 63% of the vote. Other gets 11. And 10 is to Dean Phillips. Uh, our poll has it at 32%, Dean Phillips. Uh, the crowds he's getting around What's the state. What's your poll? Um, so it's published by the American Research Group, and it says Dean Phillips is at 32% as of this weekend. Uh, he's drawing crowds of, of hundreds of New Hampshire voters everywhere he goes. And if you look at the standard that Joe Biden has to hit 
Barack Obama, Bill Clinton in New Hampshire got 81, 84 percent of the primary electorate vote. Joe Biden, this is what's going to happen in real life, guys. Dean's going to put up a shockingly big number and that the Biden campaign is going to be spinning it and apologizing for the fact that Joe Biden got whatever it's going to be, 55, like 58 percent. They'll be like, oh, that's good. Guys, that's freaking terrible for an incumbent Democratic president to get that among his own people mm-hmm. in New Hampshire. The threshold should be 81, 84 percent. After he falls short of that, you're going to see they'll be like, oh, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It means a whole heck of a lot. Andrew uh, Yang, finally, do you think New Hampshire people have a right to be upset by the Democratic Party? Oh, yeah. some uh, A very prominent New Hampshire Democrat, who unfortunately couldn't go on the record because that's a culture in the Democratic Party right now. So that's like an abusive relationship. If you're a New Hampshire voter listening to this, if you're an independent, you should be pissed off to no end at the DNC because they are punishing you for having a primary that you were required by state law to have. Right. Think it's about nice. that. That's insane. D24.com. Let's change it. Andrew Yang, you're not insane. I appreciate the quality time. And on the record, I will go on the record saying you're not insane. Thank you very much. I will take it, Brian. Uh, Thank you. That's you. Andrew Yang, thank you. Back in a moment, Brian. Kill me, Joe. Joe. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So that's water he, under the bridge he, now. Yeah, totally. As far as I'm concerned, look, he endorsed me. You know, he endorsed me. And I, we have policies very similar, actually. I think those people will all come to me. Is there a possibility, since you say it's water under the bridge, he can be vice president or serve in your cabinet? He hasn't asked yeah. for any of those positions, no, I don't hasn't. think, yet. No, he But hasn't. is there a possible of uh, the joining of forces? Well, it's probably unlikely. But, you know, I have to be honest. Is Everything's a possibility, but I think it's highly unlikely. So that is uh, the, the reaction from Donald Trump hours after he found out that Ron DeSantis is no longer in the race. It's a two-person race, and within 24 hours, it could be just Donald Trump's nomination, although there are other scenarios where, he, uh, where Governor Haley lives to fight another day. With me right now is Charlie Hurt, Fox News contributor, columnist for The Washington Times, fresh off an appearance on the big show last night, right? Oh, yeah. Right. So your thoughts about Donald Trump's stance after... Ron DeSantis you mean, out. Uh, with, do you like it? Do you like his attitude? Uh, oh afterwards? yeah, no, no. I mean, I feel like the 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 Donald Trump we've seen the last uh, couple of weeks has been a very uh, a far more measured uh, Donald Trump. Is it because uh, he's a, winning? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that he's confident and he's and he's winning. But um, I also think that uh, you know you know how like sometimes like a starting pitcher sometimes comes into the game and can't like find the strike zone, um, and it takes the you get to the second inning. And he calms down, and he gets right. And he yeah, like if you don't get him in the first, you're done. Yeah, because they, they you always settle down. Yeah, once they settle down, he's just grooving. And I feel like Trump is kind of grooving it right now. Um, I loved, uh, I, I've loved his performance in the, you know, the the town hall last or whatever it was was that last week? Two in, weeks. In, two weeks ago in Iowa, um, and and I feel like we were seeing a little bit of the same there. He's a lot more magnanimous, which we haven't always seen from him. Um, but also, I, I caution about the about what he said about Ron DeSantis. Um, you know, uh, eight months is like an eternity. No, if if we get to to summer, and Donald Trump looks around and says, "You know what? This is the matchup I need 
to win, he's going to pick Ron DeSantis. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. And by the way, anybody inside or outside of Trump world who says that they think they know what Donald Trump is going to do, Donald Trump doesn't know what he's going to Remember do. Remember, like Mike Pence almost had to force his hand to pick him. Remember, his plane had problems, yeah. so they spent another night and yeah. kind of wooed him into doing it. And the one thing about uh, Trump, does he have to make a decision that quick? No. I mean, he doesn't what, have to, he's yeah. got your eye, right? Yeah. And, and um, you know, and, and I, I also think that we often overstate the importance of vice presidential picks. But I do think this one is important um, for this reason alone. And that is that, you, you know, because Trump, this is a weird thing. When was the last time we had somebody running for a four-year term? I don't remember. I can't, like, think of the last time where it was, you know, when you look at everything, Trump is running for a four-year term. And that's been sort of a hit on him, but it's also an opportunity. And the opportunity is that if Trump policies uh, are good, and I would defend them and say that they're going to uh, be terrific, right. um, then you're se- setting up a situation where whoever he picks to be his vice president is going to run as the sort of quasi-incumbent who gets to draft off of the policy, the Trump policies of the first four years. And and that's why I think the pick is so important. And if you pick somebody who is uh, truly committed to the Trump America first Trump agenda, then um, you're looking at at 12 years. Right. Not eight. Right. Not saying that anybody will compete with it, about who that vice president is. But Mike Pence was a brilliant pick for uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Because he just worked. He understood Congress. And he understood he had relationships, and he understood Trump. Yeah, and, and and what you just said is crucial. Um, everybody says they pick, he picked him for the evangelical vote. No, he didn't. That's a complete he misunderstanding. <laughs> he had that. He was that was so. He picked him to be a, a sort of a normal, uh, calming character, a calming influence right. in the Trump. Uh, you know, and, and looking forward, you know, I, I think that you look at a, a guy like Ron DeSantis is a, he has a tremendous record. Um, he is a worker. He's a nerd, which is why he's not particularly good at politics. But uh, that, but running as as sort of a quasi incumbent in 2028, that could be very good. Um, and obviously, the the matchup between Trump and DeSantis worked beautifully in Florida. Thank God for it. Um, and then you, you you know, but if you're looking for somebody like a calming influence like that, uh, similar to Mike Pence, uh, a guy like Pompeo, who is great on the Trump agenda. And is uh, sort of, you know, obviously he's far more anti-establishment than I think uh, uh, Pence was. But he's he's got that, you know, he's been everywhere. He's been right. in Congress. He's done. And then uh, obviously the other the, the other uh, terrific choice could be uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is, there's nobody tougher in the world. Right. And, you know, the t- and, and, and if we haven't learned anything else from the Trump years, the, the quality of toughness. <laughs> To put up with these people. Right. See, I think she's, uh, she's so new to it, did a great job as press secretary. Yep. Give her some more time. I think that my pick is Lee Stefanik. Uh-huh. And I just think that the way she can navigate Congress, uh, the fearless leadership that she has, she's used to being attacked, gets up every day in a hostile territory. And I think she's really separated herself over the last year or two. I know she has some original comments where she wasn't pro-Trump. Right. But I think she made the adjustment. Christy Nome would do it if she get the personal life thing straightened out. You don't really want to deal with that if you don't have to. Well, um, but I would say this: this is why I believe that Nikki Haley has no interest in the number two slot because she's ratcheting it up to take New Hampshire, not thinking of what if I don't win. Here's an example: cut eight. 
When I worked in his cabinet, I called him out if he was doing something wrong. I mean, I would show up, I'd pick up the phone and say, you can't do this. Instead, you could do X, Y, or Z. You know, so I always told him what I thought was in the best interest of the country when I was in his cabinet. But this is different. I mean, we're seeing he's just not at the same level he was at 2016. I think we're seeing some of that um, decline. But more than that, what I'll say is focus on the fact that no matter what it is, chaos follows him. So, you know, obviously, uh, Nikki Haley's out of step with Republican voters, at least in Iowa and what polling shows now. Um, you know, they can say that she can say that chaos follows them everywhere and that it's time to surrender and give in to the Trump opponents. But Republican voters are not there. Republican voters clearly are determined to keep the fight going. Um, the other thing I think is kind of interesting, uh, you know, she you know, when she said. Nikki Haley's problem is she comes off as a politician from central casting. She says whatever she has to say. And I I don't think that Republican voters are prepared to go back to that style of candidate. And when she says the thing like she goes, you know, I would call him up and tell him that he was his own worst enemy. Really? Really? Do you actually think that Nikki Haley called up Donald Trump in the White House and said, you know what, you're your own worst enemy? I'm I'm, going to sort of. I'm going to I'm going to I'm willing to bet that she probably never actually said that to him, especially and, that way. But she did have direct contact with him. And I yeah. do think there's mutual respect there. That's why I thought there might have been a tag team, but not the way this is ending. No, I don't. I think. And and yeah, I, I agree. I And I thought that his comments uh, last week about her were not being ready. Were, yeah, were actually somewhat Sherman-esque. In terms of like, yeah, I am not because if you think about it, like every time somebody says something like that about somebody who could be a potential vice president, you you fast forward and think about, okay, what are the attack ads going to be that where they use Trump's words against whoever he picks to be as vice president? What he said about uh, Nikki Haley would be a devastating attack ad against her in next summer if he picks her. What he said about Ron DeSantis, I don't I don't see a particularly strong attack ad that Democrats can run against Trump and DeSantis if Trump picks him. See, the other thing that I just have a contention with is that whole he doesn't have the warmth with DeSantis. And I said, I don't know what you mean by the warmth. I think he's fine. He, he wants to solve problems. Right. He doesn't. He really doesn't. You know, he's not going to give you the Bill Clinton hug. He's not going <laughs> to shed a tear. But no, he's going to say, where's your insurance? Where's the construction guy? The tornado hit. Were you prepared? Yeah. Were you able to get a response? Are we going to rebuild that bridge? But he's not going to hug you. He's not going to hug you out. Right. You know, and, and, and I have no problem with that. I don't need a hug from my politician. No, but you, you do have to know how to, to be a politician. And you have to. And, and this is. And the, you see some and, problems, fundamental problems with him. If, with if Ron Trump, Sanders? Yeah. If, Ron, if Trump wasn't running, would you feel the same way? Now, see, you just, do you no. see a flawed candidate? Um, well, I, I still see a candidate who has a hard time selling himself to people who haven't lived under his policies. When you go to Florida, it's amazing with the way everybody you talk to who loves Ron DeSantis, they will give you a bill of sale for all the things he's done for them. It's amazing. And he executes. And, it's, and he executes. It's really impressive. But the problem is that, you you know, um, uh, uh, policy positions, nerdy, being a nerd, selling policy positions, 
doesn't win elections. And we can complain about that and be upset about this and be butthurt about it. But at the end of the day, you have to be a good politician. Somehow you have to sell it. And and this is my complaint about Republicans all along. Republicans have failed to learn the lessons from Donald Trump. Whether you love him or hate him, the guy knows how to sell Everything Trump he cookies. He sell, he's selling cookies. They're the greatest cookies on earth. You can eat as many as you want. You won't gain a pound. You'll look gorgeous if you eat them all. But you it's, know that's not true. Hey, well, you know what? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not no, but true. No, but, I don't but know. No, you but, know those cookies but, don't make you. That's, yeah, that's the problem. He's a, he's a bit of a fabulist. But but when, when the media then comes out and they're like, oh, no, that's not true. You can't eat all these cookies. You, they sound like morons. But Fact-checking them on those but things. I know that's true. And just like the whole thing about him being a dictator. <laughs> I mean, I'm watching these people. Did you watch yeah. the show? Did you? Yeah. I mean, do you realize how idiotic you sound? Yeah, exactly. But the other thing is, when I laughed, and I tell Allison this, uh, all the time, I laugh out loud every time I hear him voice his own commercial yeah. about the Donald Trump trading card mugshot edition. <laughs> so this is the thing yeah. that would ruin anybody, and not only in life, but their business when they're done, yeah. ruin their political life, their business. He's like, okay, and I will sell you a piece of the suit that I wore the day I got the mugshot. <laughs> and so are you kidding me? And you know what I, you know what I, what I hate about politicians is politicians look at that and they think, oh, we're better than that. Well, you need to check in with the American people because they don't think you're better than that. Right. They think that that guy selling sham wow or, or is an improvement right. over everybody in Washington. But the mugshot on a mug is yes. genius, and the mugshot on a trading card, and you can get a piece of the cup. and you can get a new version every month. Be right. a, a mug of the month. They're the club. best ever. Yeah, They're the, the best. best. Right. And whatever you put in it. Uh, Charlie Hurts here. Charlie, when we come back, a relationship that I had everything to do with. Would you say that's oh, wow. Oh, Everything wow. to do. With. You're a matchmaker. Back in a moment. Hear the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This headline you might have caught your attention. GOP donors are privately pushing to Senator Tim Scott to give more details about his private life. Your single status. What is your status? Well, obviously, uh, at this point, I'm taken. I have a wonderful girlfriend, and uh, we have a wonderful relationship. The good news is uh, God has blessed me with a smart Christian woman. That's great news. But more importantly is why are, are the headlines there? The headlines are there because as I rise in the polls, as people show up at my, my town halls, it scares even my opponents. We meet your mom when we meet her? We meet your girlfriend? You will, of course, at some point. Okay, great. Where is she hiding? Why is, yeah. wait, why is Brian Kilmeade single shaming him? This reminds me of my mom before I met my husband. Like, headline, Alyssa is still single. Well, it does remind you of every woman that's ever walked the earth has been asked, well, where's the man? So. We finally have an answer to that question, who the girlfriend is from Tim Scott. You know I always love the relationship portion of politics. I don't like the mm. numbers. I want to know mm. who's making out right. with who. You oh, know, yeah. I've always, always said that, right? Oh, yeah. Charlie yeah. Hurd is here, by the way. Not, I, I don't mean to say Charlie Hurd is here, by the way. Yeah, but now, like a can I make the announcement, or do, do we have to have, actually have the sound? Okay. This, uh, Tim Scott is engaged to Mindy Nose, unless, I, unless it should be an I. No, I think I, I typed this out. Uh, she is a someone that he met, and he brought up scripture. He said, um, here it is. 
Uh, Mindy's his girlfriend. She's an interior designer who lives in Charleston. She said, yes, it's been a whirlwind few days for Mr. Scott, whose endorsement of Donald Trump at a New Hampshire Pratt rally on Friday. Renewed talk about his consideration as a running mate. The engagement was first reported by the Washington Post. Comes after more than a year of dating. Your thoughts about their chance at success and long-time happiness? Oh, I mean, I, guaranteed, right? It's I mean, guaranteed, it has right? to be. But, I mean, can you imagine uh, in, the, in the throes of everything he's been going through? for the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months for that matter, having to enter into this whirlwind. I mean, like in the best of circumstances, I was like losing my mind. I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, what have I gotten myself into? I mean, so. Well, you you didn't think that with your marriage, did you? Well, I mean, I'm just saying, no, I was not talking about my marriage at all. I mean, I'm just saying like, you know, theoretically speaking, like if you were to like, if one were to get into. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because I mean, you know, it's, it's like. Like, like, you know, marriage is a long time. You know, 20, I've, 25 years is a long time. It's like. It should be a series of one-year contracts. <laughs> right? At the end of the year, you have an option to pick Are each other's options. No, no, there's a reason it's not. You know why? Because it would, because it, the one, it, the contracts would end at some point. But, it would, you, but, but Charlie. But a Everyone lifetime. plays best to their contract on their walk year. So we we be we be every day we be coming so out. So have with you our discussed A-game. this with your wife? Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. Gonna... I don't know if she's listened to the radio, show, <laughs> but I know she watched. It. I saved this for the radio. Right, right. And right. You're, you're... but you know this is a brilliant idea. But back to back to Tim Scott. Mm. Uh, he is a wonderful person, and he might oh, have yeah. met Miss Perfect. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't that be perfect if you're going to be named vice president to get one? issue that might pop up? People saying, "Wait a second, you know, is Tim Scott married what's, or not?" Yeah, what's the issue? Right. No, I'm just saying, is he is he married or not? Uh, like people say, no, no, he's he's yeah. married. No, they, no, everybody and everybody likes a little storybook story, and they like it. They, it's it's cute. It's nice. Looking at vice, let's say that uh, let's say right now that that Donald Trump KOs Nikki Haley, and then yeah. South Carolina, Donald Trump brilliantly brought up every South Carolina lawmaker <laughs> in New Hampshire, uh, and yesterday to say, listen, this is yeah. what's waiting for you. Should you survive? These are the VP stakes. Lee Zeldin's being vetted right now. Yep. Tim Scott, Elise Stefanik, uh, Christy Nome, uh, Byron Donalds. Out of that list, do you add? Do you want to add anyone to that? So yes. Uh, well, uh, I, no. I would say no. I would say I think that Mike Pompeo is a real runner, and I think that um, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders are, are real. But what I think is uh, especially interesting on the South Carolina thing. How amazing is it? I mean, it's like a South Carolina reunion up here. Uh, you've got Henry McMaster. You've got uh, Tim Lindsay Scott. Graham. You got Lindsey Graham. Uh, you got Nancy Mace. Wait, Nancy Mace Nancy, is Na- was Nancy Ma- Mace announced last night, was it, or this morning that wow. she's she's going? I mean, and and um, Nikki Haley lives in Nancy Mace's district, wow. so it's a cleanup down in South Carolina. And I also think it's interesting that they moved the Tim Scott thing because I, I thought that they were going to hold Tim Scott's endorsement until they went to South Carolina. I didn't think he was going to give it, and then they they moved it up. And, they, and and it happened here. Why did it happen here? It happened here because Trump thinks he can polish knock it out. Off. Yeah, exactly. Do the, do the knockout. Um, but um, what was your uh, – well, Out of all those, who would be your pick? Well, oh, oh the, the other Are thing you still vetting their background? So, so <laughs> um, but the thing I think is kind of interesting about Christy Noem is that if, if this election were about COVID, nobody did better in COVID 
than uh, than uh, Christy Nome because Christy Nome said, "Look, I you know maybe maybe it would be a good thing to shut everything down, but you know what? I don't have that power, so I'm not going to do it." She never shut down anything for any period of time, and I mean she has a perfect record. They went after her on too a, with the whole bike thing, the yeah. motorcycle. Oh thing. yeah, they yeah. destroyed her over. Right, it. they and tried she to. Held, and she held strong. But as we're seeing uh, with the campaign that DeSantis has run, it's that's not what's moving voters. That's not the issue. People don't want to are not relitigating COVID, right? Joey, I enjoyed our time. Hey, it's been really we wonderful. About relationships and good luck about Vice PP. Good luck with your marriage series of one year contracts. Yes, I'm not saying that I'm going to implement it. I just throw it out to the people to oh, see if it will work I, for them. I don't think you get to decide that. I think that your wife is going to decide that. Good point. Thank you, Charlie Hart. Try to stay busy and out of trouble for a change. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, keep it here, Brian Kilme Show in New Hampshire. So glad you're there. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. I I like to say it's finally here. We've been thinking about it for the longest time. And, of course, with the Trump trials taking place and all the speculation about uh, Joe Biden, will he run again? It feels like it's been going on for two years. But really, we're just 24 hours away from our first primary and one just within a week from our first result. And that was the Iowa caucus. 30 for a 30 point win for uh, uh, for former President Donald Trump. Today, Nikki Haley's going to be quite busy. She's going to be doing a meet and greet in Concord, New Hampshire. She already was on Bill, Bill Hemmer's show. She just did a appearance in Franklin, New Hampshire. Then she's going to go to Manchester, on to Wyndham. She's going to finish up with a big rally in Salem. And I know Donald Trump will be in New York City. Donald Trump will be in New York City at a uh, civil trial with E. Uh, Jean Carroll. And it's all about getting an award. She wants $10 million and Trump doesn't want to give anything. Uh, and then he's going to fly out and do an event. We're supposed to join him on the trail tonight. And then you'll have, we'll have some of that, uh, those interviews tomorrow and during the week. With me right now with Britt Hume. Uh, Britt Hume is Mr. Everything here, Fox News' senior <laughs> political analyst. There's nothing you haven't done and can do. And, Britt, the thing I like most is when things happen and I feel they're unprecedented, I always thought, would Britt Hume feel the same way? <laughs> But when I look at 91 charges, four indictments, a 30-point Iowa win, and it looks like in most recent polls, double-digit lead on Nikki Haley, are we in things that make Britt Hume say, wow, this is unprecedented? Well, it's different, that's for sure. Uh, I'm always hesitant to say something's unprecedented because someone who knows more than I do or has a longer memory or has studied history more carefully may come along to contradict me. But, uh, no, this is unusual, and uh, it reminds me a little bit of the atmosphere in the Republican Party in 1980 when there appeared to be quite serious challenge to Ronald Reagan's nomination from George H.W. Bush. Um, but it turned out that the party was had, had shown its love for Ronald Reagan four years earlier in 1976 when he nearly beat incumbent President Ford in the primary here in New Hampshire. And the state of New Hampshire was prepared to vote for him again, although Bush was leading in the polls coming out of Iowa, which he'd won. Uh, and as it ended up, it was a blowout for Reagan because this party loved Ronald Reagan, still loved him, and once they were sure that he was okay, were ready to vote for him and did. And this seems to be the case here with Donald Trump. You know, the, there's been a lot, there's a lot being said, written, and uh, about why the DeSantis campaign didn't work. And a lot of people say, well, he didn't do this and he didn't do that and he wasn't cuddly and he didn't didn't romance the media properly. I don't think I, that has much of anything to do with it. I think what happened is the Republican Party appeared a year or so ago to be prepared to turn away from Donald Trump. It wasn't. And once Donald, 
And once the indictment started to hit, particularly that ridiculous brag indictment in New York City. The first. The first of them, which was a silly indictment, uh, widely thought of as such, even, among, even in some quarters on the American left, the feeling of loyalty to, to Donald Trump waked those voters up, and they were poised to vote for him in Iowa, and they appear poised to vote for him here. Here's what, here's what Ron DeSantis kind of surprised people by saying this yesterday. Uh, cut one. I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackage formed of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. Did it surprise you he not only said, I'm out, but uh, I'm endorsing Trump at the well, it's a kind of a lukewarm endorsement. I mean, he true. said he's superior to Joe Biden, which is, you know, if you're a Republican, that ain't saying much. Right. Um, it, you know, and Nikki Haley. Well, there, there you go. I mean, yeah. but, but he's, you know, he, he, he spurned Nikki Haley uh, uh, clearly, it seems to me, because he, you know, he criticized her in that same statement, a part of which you displayed. Um, so I was a little surprised he did it right here on the eve of this primary, but it makes sense, uh, Brian. He didn't have anything going here. South Carolina didn't look good for him. And so he was in that position that candidates sometimes are in when they make a big bet on one state, whether they win it or lose it. The question always becomes, where are you going next? Yeah. If you start asking the question now of, of him, the answer was you couldn't really see where he was going to recover. See, I'm torn. I, I do not think that Nikki Haley is anything less than a conservative. She's not a so-called rhino. She might be a little different. I like her foreign policy. I think we should be back in Ukraine. I see Ukraine with Russia with much bigger interests than Ukraine. I see an opportunity to stop this uh, would-be infection of Eastern Europe from spreading out again. I think Israel should be supported, and we should be giving them arms and let them finish the job. That's more uh, Nikki Haley than President Trump. It certainly is. And, and DeSantis, for traditional Republicans who hold foreign policy views similar to the ones you just expressed, uh, DeSantis was kind of a disappointment. And and Trump has been, too. There's, there's, Trump is not really an internationalist in the sense we normally think of it. Although, if you look at his record on foreign policy, it was pretty strong. Yeah. So... You know, I think a lot of Republicans are saying to themselves, well, I kind of disagree with him on, on Ukraine, and, and he seems lukewarm on other commitments, but you know, that's not how he governed. It isn't. And the thing is, uh, I'm, I know they want to suppress NATO, and I'm all open to the negotiation of walking away and saying, if you don't increase the 2%, I'm out, and that panics people. But if he gets people to spend more, if that's his way of doing it, we should understand that that's Trump's method of negotiating. I get it. But to walk away from that alliance would be absolute folly. I think that would, uh, you know, uh, getting more than spend more, yes. To get them to modernize their military to defend themselves, it just got exposed how, how bad their equipment is, 1980s Soviet style. But we'll see where the foreign policy goes. So far they have avoided that. And you see the blowback that Joe Biden's getting over support for Israel, which is at the right, is, I believe he's on the right side of it. But it's one of these times where everything's a little bit gray, Brett, when it comes to foreign yeah, and, policy. And that, and that situation with Biden is kind of interesting because I think he's getting it from both sides on Israel in particular he because he's got a significant component of his party, which is pro-Palestinian, to be quite quite frank about Especially it. Especially Michigan. Yes. And, and 
on the other hand, there are people who don't like his occasional criticisms and pressure on Israel to, to back off. So you put those two together, and suddenly you're holding a minority position within, right. within, within the electorate. While we're in the Middle East for a second, Netanyahu coming out and goes, this is not going to be knowing a two-state solution. Can we just own up to that? I do not want a state there. And the rest of the world going, there has to be a state. Let's do it. And our Secretary of State meeting with the leader of the Palestinian Authority. Your thoughts, have you heard anyone speak in an intriguing, uh, insightful way, a logical way, a practical way of the, the way forward after the Hamas operation is done in Gaza? I have not really, and I think, but I think the two-state solution idea, which is one of those ideas that's been around since the earth cooled, it seems like, yeah. um, it has never really been accepted by the Palestinians that's or, their the problem. Leader, or their leadership. Yeah, right. They've had the opportunity, uh, and they've walked away from it each time. But we want to make we want to make Israel accept a two-state when the other state doesn't want to be the exactly state. Exactly right, and I think the idea is kind of dead on arrival, and these these politicians and foreign policy. Uh, uh, experts who talk about it all the time as if it's the only way out. It uh, it looks great on paper, but it has never worked. Right. I don't think it can work. I don't know what the what other idea there is, but we need a new idea. And I think Isra- the Israelis are right to be deeply skeptical of that as a solution. So if you if you look at what's happening right now with the Houthi rebels, now we're ramping up. We're looking at a longer plan of continuing strikes against them. They're asking for more weapons from Iran. So these tribesmen. Um, are actually rocketing and putting a, an end to Red Sea uh, shipping. shipping, period. Yeah. So this is costing everyone millions. It's going to cost everybody with uh, the, any products we get there. 15% of the world's economy goes through there. It's going to cost everyone this. This is the last thing, if you are, uh, if you are Joe Biden, this is the last thing you need outside the collapse of the border. Well, he could respond here and mount a military response, which would be effective. I mean, the truth is we're in a position of real strength uh, worldwide, but, and, and especially so now in that region. And we're in a position to do severe damage to the Houthis if we have the will to do it. And that, would, that of course, would, as they say, send a message to Iran yeah. that you don't want to screw around with us. Um, Biden seems enamored still of the idea that we're going to be able to work things out with the Iranians and have a good relationship. Which is so nuts. I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me, um, but he seems taken with it. Now, the other thing, of course, I think is he's worried about trying to run for re-election in the middle of a hot war. Because the truth of the matter is that, right or, rightly or wrongly, wars inspire incredibly deep passions. And it's hard to, it's hard to, to run a war. Uh, at a time when you're, you know, politically vulnerable and up for re-election, and he didn't want that, and I understand that. On the other hand, decisive military action now might ward off a war. Right, and that's at Tom Cotton's point. This is what he said to Mark Levin last night, cut 32. Barack Obama believes deeply that America is the reason for the four decades of tensions between Iran and the United States. He believes that we overthrew a democratically elected government in 1953 in Iran. Nothing could be further from the truth. He believes that presidents before him consistently uh, believed the worst about Iran and put undue pressure on them. That If we would just extend, as he said, an open hand, then they would respond. And what did they get? They got a clenched fist throughout the Obama presidency. You got the Iran nuclear deal, which didn't block their path to a bomb, but as Prime Minister Netanyahu said, paved their path to a bomb, and they got billions of dollars of payoffs. Mm-hmm. See, the planters' war problem in the Middle East is Iran, and yet their their way of approaching Iran, whatever you think of it, they should at least admit that it didn't work out, 
And people change policies all the time. And you say this administration and the previous president would not be willing to admit that. That's been the case so far, Brian. And uh, I think Obama's foreign policy over time will be held in increasingly low regard. Look at Libya. Got a total pass on that. Created havoc there with no plan B. Hillary Clinton leaned on to do it. I think Valerie Jarrett did as well. They blow up the country. Now the Russians have more influence in Libya than we do. That's exactly right, and, and that's the peril of, of, of treating uh, the Middle East and the, and the countries in that region as someone yeah. that we can always do business with and that we ought to have a, have a strong relationship with, the, uh, with people like the Iranians. It's not possible. Allison, did Britt give you an idea of how much two segments would cost? A lot. Uh, a lot. I mean, do we have the money to pay for two segments? My view is, you know, I think I, I'm not on enough that I don't have a lot of time in the bank that I ought to So you need me. You. So you need me? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So in order for him to fill out his timesheet, we'll ask, we beg, uh, Britt is asking me to keep on, and the answer is a, a resounding yes. When we come back, uh, the vice presidential pick, should Donald Trump get it, and uh, Britt Hume's predictions tonight. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show on the road in beautiful New Hampshire. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Sinatra was thrown to the wolves in the late 40s. Thought his career was over. All done and dusted. And then, boom, he comes back from here to eternity. He wins an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And his career becomes one of the most iconic in the history of American celebrity show business. Donald Trump is on the verge of pulling off a similar comeback. Because I think if it's Trump v. Biden, I think right now, looking at all the polling for Biden, looking at the state of him, unable to basically string a sentence together or walk in a straight line without falling over, my money would be on Donald Trump to win. And if he gets back in the White House, it is the greatest comeback in American political history. Well, Pierce Morgan on uh, Brit Hume's favorite show, One Nation, Saturdays at 9 o'clock, gave that analogy. Britt, you always have a perspective on these things. We know a lot about Trump is unprecedented. Do you think the analogy works? And I don't know. I didn't look this up. I don't even know. In the 1940s, did they think Sinatra was done? I don't remember that, but yeah. I was only about four years old. Right. Six yeah. years I mean, old how old time. is this guy? Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, but, well it's, look, based on current polling, that looks like a pretty good forecast. What I'd say about this is this. In, in uh, People frequently have told me, and I'm sure you've heard this many times from people, no way Joe Biden got 81 million votes right. in 2020. I agree with that. He didn't get 81 million votes. Donald Trump got 80 million, 81 million votes for Biden. Nobody motivates Democrats like Donald Trump. And their fear and loathing of him is not to be underestimated. And to a great extent in the last year or more, Trump has been out of sight. Now, it seems silly to say that. He just won Iowa, and you know, he's visible now. But for a long time, he wasn't. And all the stuff that people hated about him was muted to some extent. And I think it's helped him politically, which is odd, but it's, I think that's what's happened. The Democrats have not even 
begun to get started yet on how they're going to go after Trump. Everything that the people didn't like about Donald Trump is going to be advertised so fairly well, emphasized, shown in videos. January 6th. January 6th until we can't stand it any longer and so on. So I think you have to be cognizant of the fact that there is an abiding fear and loathing of Donald Trump, which motivates people against him. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of stuff that motivates people in his favor. I'm not underestimating that. That accounts for his current standing within the Republican Party and all the rest of it. But don't underestimate the the Trump effect on the other party. Right. And the other thing that the first story in Politico, and they're almost rooting for it by the way the headline's written, is that Trump loses votes if he's convicted on anything. And that changes his sum for some of the electorate. And we know this is going to be a close race. But pushback of what I just said is they're playing the Hitler card in January. He's Hitler. Okay. Twice. Fantastic. And then they're doing the January 6th thing as if it was yesterday and the only thing. As if if you as bad as, as September 11th was, if George Bush spent every day talking about how great he reacted on September 11th, you have to worry, like, okay, as we're never going to forget that day yeah, either. We got, we, we got we there, but what about the economy? Yeah, right. exactly. Right. And I just think that they're in somewhat of a danger. We saw that play. We keep seeing the January 6th play. We saw the primetime show produced by an ABC producer, no offense to the place she used to work. And then we see the Liz Cheney book. We get it. We understand all the negative stuff. And then he comes out in all these cases, maybe as some people going. And the other thing that we're not taking into account, perhaps, is the track record of Joe Biden. If you look at the border, you look at international affairs, if you look at what's happening with the economy, you look at interest rates and the inflation we've been dealing with for the last three years. I mean, almost everything he looked to reverse has blown up in his face, and it makes that report card from the previous guy look better. Trump's best hope is the fact that this is probably, in my view, the weakest incumbent president politically and policy-wise as well that I can remember seeing. I mean, he is really really got a catalog of failures and things that people don't like. That's And so we have this paradoxical situation, Brian, where each candidate is the other's best hope. Interesting. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, that when the people say 33% approval rating, well, Barack Obama had low numbers and Bill Clinton had no numbers after the impeachment, although they intended to go up, they could all do their thing. They could get on the stump and do it, and they could sell their sell, and they could change their, their uh, what they're doing, be more of a, more aggressive, less aggressive, whatever. Joe Biden is not capable, and I think you're with me on this, of going out and doing three rallies a day. He's not capable of changing his vision. Well, it's not clear that he can't do an interview that's going to turn sentiment around. That's right, which means that it's not clear that going and campaigning is going to help. Yes. Because people look at him, and the first thing they think is, oh, man, he is feeble. Right. And he is. Let's face it. Look, I'm the same age as he is, yes. basically, a little bit younger. Could you be president? No, yes, I should. You could. I think no, you could. Not a chance. Allison, do you think he could? I think he <laughs> President of what? <laughs> like you could do it, and you would put people in charge that would be able to, to maybe. Yeah, I'd have to. Th- to go to the Middle Eastern Conference. I'd have to put somebody else in charge of everything. Well, yeah, well put it this way. You know, you know who to appoint. I think you could do it. And I'm, the reason why I'm not asking your prediction is because. I don't do them. Because you don't want to be wrong. Well, look. Doesn't help you to be wrong, and and the predictions are sort of a sort of a silly sport because you don't really know. Nobody right. really knows. Yep, and that was Allison's idea. She said do predictions, and I told you it would just be silly. It's unbelievable how I have to take the heads. Shannon Bream's next. Now, if I asked her for predictions, will she say the same? Don't thing? know. Yeah, you don't know if she would say anything. I know this though. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
when Chris Christie dropped out of the race, it made a lot of people in Haley's orbit think she may actually be able to win the state of New Hampshire. And you saw things start to get really close, a wide race suddenly narrowing. There were a few polls that even had it inside single digits. But just in the last couple of days, something else changed. Vivek Ramaswamy dropping out on caucus night. And you can see here, just in the last week, uh, Nikki Haley's numbers going up a little bit. Donald Trump's numbers going up even more than that. Right now, that race solidly into double digits, maybe in more of the range of 14 or 15 points. So that is ABC's uh, great um, analyst, Rick Klein, when he was on with uh, Fox News Sunday. But when now he's on ABC, I don't think he's as great as he used to be. Are you dissing? Dissing um, us here? Um, not you. Okay. Yeah, no. But, but Rick Klein was on with Brett. I remember a few times, right? So now he's with ABC. Okay. Shannon Bream is here from Fox News Sunday, uh, and also she's a Fox News legal uh, correspondent. Do you get two separate checks? No, I don't. I'm not like you. You have many income streams from this network. Right, radio. And you, and you de- demand that they pay them all separately. Every hour. Does it go to separate accounts? How much do you make an hour, like $3,000? I don't know. I mean, I don't really <laughs> make it up, but they do pay me in the hour. Like every hour, someone will come in and drop off money. Cash? Yeah. Pennies? Is that wrong? <laughs> I want him to pay you in pennies right. every hour. And I'm worried with these 87,000 new IRS agents are going to catch up to me. So stop talking about all your money. All right. Well, stop asking me. Well, I just, okay. I'm a journalist. That's what I do. I got to get to uh, the bottom of the truth. I'm sorry. So today uh, I'm going to have a chance to go on uh, President Trump's plane mm. and go to his first event. But You're the reason, fancy. But the reason why he didn't have a morning event is because he chose to be in the court with that uh, defamation trial. Mm-hmm. But what did we just learn? Well, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Apparently, a juror, it doesn't feel well. Uh, and one of his attorneys, Alina Hoppe, is his main attorney. And there are reports that there are some illnesses that might start with the uh, C word that might be involving some of the people in the courtroom. So, you know, abundance of caution. But that kind of throws things into a little bit of chaos. So it's interesting because he says he was leaning over whispering to her during the court case, which mm-hmm. clients often, often, often do to their mm-hmm. with attorneys. And I'm wondering, is he worried? I don't think he worries about anything. I, really I don't think don't. you like having He's COVID. Really, I'll no, tell you I think he did not have a good experience the first time around with COVID. Um, but uh, I, I think that he's going to just stay on the campaign trail until he tests positive does or otherwise. Ha- does he have to be in the courtroom? Not this case. I mean, there are some cases that he has to be there. This one is optional, but I think for him, he wants to show up for a number of reasons. I mean, we know it plays well with his base that, you know, I'm dragged into this courtroom and you know, all of those kinds of arguments. But I think that he wants to look those, you know, folks in the eye there and say, I'm not ashamed. I didn't do this. I maintain my innocence and I'm going to keep showing up. Right. And he, he's going to do that. and He's going to talk more about that. But I'm just wondering, will it give him an opportunity to lessen the fine? He could be fined up to $10 million. Mm-hmm. If that's in, on top of the $5 million he was told to pay her? Yeah, that's my understanding is that, you know, the first part was just about the culpability. And now we're arguing about how much she went back to say, hey, he's gone out there and made more comments. Let's bring him back in here and talk about a bigger amount. Right. When you have an accuser and she might be 100 percent accurate or inaccurate, I think the detail, you know this because you did this, didn't you? What? Didn't you do I did sexual, sex harassment law, yeah. so I didn't do criminal law. But uh, yeah, I did sex harassment So, law. you know, um, should you be have to be forced to narrow down the year? In what should happen. Listen, any case that I was involved in, we would have um, made great hay of that, as they say, um, because you want to know. But but remember when we saw this with Justice Kavanaugh, now Justice Kavanaugh, there was also a lot of gray area with his accuser, uh, the primary accuser, uh, Blasey Ford. And uh, people who say believe women will give a lot of leeway on that point. And others who say we also have due process and you've got to protect people who are accused. Let's at least get it to a year. 
Or a city. Yeah. Forget about the time. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pyramid scheme, January 29th. I'm not even aware of this. I got all the listings of all the lawsuits. He's facing a lawsuit over a pyramid scheme, class action suit. Do you know anything about that? Uh, not, you can just wave a, it off. Uh, not a lot, but there is, yeah, there's a huge list of stuff he's got this year, right. multiple for him so, and his company. So then we got the Nevada primary on the 6th. That was on the 29th, right? And then on the 8th, oral arguments for the Colorado ballot case. That's the Supreme Court. What does he have to do on that? Does he have to pay to go pay attorneys to go fight for him? Does the Republican Party fight for him? Um, there are a couple of different parties to that one. Uh, the Colorado Republican Party is involved, but he also, yeah, has his own legal team fighting there in Supreme Court. And, you know, those litigators are not inexpensive. And so, yeah, that's another litigation right. situation for him. But you do, believe, do you believe with conventional wisdom that this could be a 9-0 decision, the Supreme Court saying you can't kick this guy off? Yeah, I think it's possible. I, I think that they're going to look at it and see a lot of problems with the underlying decision. And it's not just about him. Him. They have to think about any presidential contender out there. And I think if the justices are being fair, yeah, conventional wisdom is he's going to do well. Super Tuesday is March 5th. On March 4th, he's supposed to be uh, on the January 6th case. I don't think it happens. Because I mean, I think the case happens. I think that there will be enough delays that you don't start on March 4th. Because he wants immunity. He said, listen, I was president then. You're not going to go convict me on things you don't think I should have done. Mm -hmm. So what are his chances there? Well, so he's argued that at the appellate court, that one level below the Supreme Court, I would imagine we get a decision from them pretty quickly. But he can also then ask for an en banc hearing, which is I want the whole court, the whole appellate court to rehear this case. That could get denied. Then he says, well, I want the Supreme Court to decide it. So there are ways to run out the clock a bit if you want to get past that March 4th start. And I would say the odds are it doesn't start March 4th. But do you think summer? Yeah, I think that's possible. I mean, the Supreme Court has put lightning speed on the things that are involving the president. They didn't get into this immunity issue because they wanted to let it play out in the lower court. They don't even have to take the case. I think they will because of the import of it. But they could say, okay, whatever the lower court rules, we're not getting involved. One of the arguments was the famous thing, you could shoot somebody while you're president mm -hmm. and not get tried because – you are have immunity because you're president. Did they have a good answer for that? Uh, the judges, many of them, did not think so in the court. They were not impressed with that argument. Brett asked the president about this, former president about this, uh, I think it was Saturday night. And interesting answer from him, he said, well, what we were talking about is the assassination of a foreign leader, something that, um, right. you know, you could debate drone strikes and those kinds of things. Um, he very much wanted to wave it away from the understanding that most people had was we're talking about a domestic political rival. Right, because, you know, Barack Obama was killing people in the middle of Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. And what if they turned around and go, you know, you killed the wrong guy. I'm mm -hmm. going to sue you now that you're out. So he's worried about Barack Obama being sued, or is, or is he worried about the legacy, which is not wrong, about suing people. For example, you might say George W. Bush lied about uh, uh, Saddam Hussein and weapons of destruction. Mm -hmm. I, my son or daughter died. Okay, let's sue him. Mm -hmm. And President Trump has been smart to bring that up to give it a broader context, because when you think about you know, what most of us thought when the judge brought that up in the court, oh, we're talking about assassinating a domestic right. political rival. Like, you got to shut that down. There, so, I mean, no one thinks that you get immunity from that. What about the documents case? Is it an effective argument to say I need clearance to go through all these documents? And if to do that, I got a, literally a million pages to go through? That's been one of their arguments. And because of so many of the early motions and the documents and all the things that are going on with that, a lot of people think that trial does not start in May either. So it doesn't start in May, but if all this starts hitting turbo speed in July and mm -hmm. August and September, does it change the complexion of the race? I'm sure you saw that political story saying mm -hmm. that if convicted, Donald Trump loses some, loses some support. And that is something that 
you know, you're urging GOP voters to go with you and take that chance. Um, you know, it's something I asked J.D. Vance, Senator, about yesterday on Fox News Sunday. Are you telling people to gamble a bit with their vote? And he's like, you know, obviously he's not going to be convicted. And, and I think enough people stay with him. The people I talked to here on the ground in New Hampshire about where does the conviction make you go for him? They were all like, it makes me believe the government's against him and double down for him. So he knew that right. would be the case. Um, but we'll see. But the whole thing is, to me, it reminds me of the, the Access Hollywood thing. It's the worst thing mm-hmm. ever. Can you believe it? We never had this happen before. Is you just drop out, and then people get used to it. It simmers down, and then he goes to the election, regains that speed, mm-hmm. and he actually But think up about this. If those things all trickle into summertime, the Mar-a-Lago documents case or the January 6th case, I mean, we're in the middle of conventions. And for a federal criminal trial, the defendant has to be there unless there's been some kind of special arrangement. He's going to be sitting potentially in courtrooms while the conventions are happening. I mean, that could happen. But why is it that they're in such a rush? Well, that's his question. His legal team says, why did you wait two or three years to bring some of these cases? And now we got to get them done like tomorrow. Understood. So tonight, do you get the sense that New Hampshire knows a decisive win for the president, uh, former president, delivers the nomination? Do you sense that the $4 million of ads that, they, uh, that Nikki Haley bought in South Carolina should dispel any thought that she's going to quit after this? Man, between here and there, there's a lot of road. There's that Nevada situation, which is really interesting and confusing. Caucus primary? Yeah. Um, but gosh, February 24th is a long time from now. And they will all say, as Ron DeSantis was telling us last week, we're in it for the long haul. We're going to keep picking up delegates. We're going to go through you know, go? March 5th. So they're all going to say that, but we'll see. New Hampshire, as you know, has done some funky things. They've done some surprising things. And with hundreds of thousands of undeclared voters who can show up and vote in the GOP primaries, most of the polls that we've been looking at are of expected likely GOP primary voters. That most of those polls then are not testing the hundreds of thousands of undeclared who could still show up. And that could make a big difference. Can I just say thanks for saying funky? Because I didn't think we were capable. I don't think we're on a delay. Are you going to have to bleep that? Right. No. Well, (laughs) I didn't know if we were on a delay or not. I'm thinking Shannon Bream. No one's on the on the button. for you. I found the other day. I found out that the word freaking is apparently something that gets bleeped in places. Really? Yeah. Not on Gutfeld. (laughs) <laughs> Nothing. That whole show is one big bleep. Right. Yeah, we don't really <laughs> They're know having a good time. Party time. You, now, he calls you evil. Are you? Well, I think that all of us have good and evil in us, and I'm fighting to let the good win every day. Not successful. I'm, I'm, not, I'm failing so miserably. Obvious. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Some days better than others. So, Shannon, when we come back, what, 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 a, what about a relationship that just emerged that should get everybody's attention? Which relationship? It's a bit of a riddle, right? Yeah. It's called a very good tease. Okay, yeah, you are the best. That's what you're known for. Really? Brian, the tease killed me. Back in a moment. (laughs) On the road to 2024, the New Hampshire primary. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. He has my endorsement. He was very gracious and he endorsed me. I appreciate that. The two-person race is on. He's just not at the same level he was at 2016. I think we're seeing some of that. Keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This headline you might have caught your attention. GOP donors are privately pushing to Senator Tim Scott to give more details about his private life. Your single status. What is your status? Well, obviously, uh, at this point, I'm taken. I have a wonderful girlfriend, and uh, we have a wonderful relationship. The good news is uh, God has blessed me with a smart Christian woman. That's great news. But more importantly is why are, are the headlines there? The headlines are there because as I rise in the polls 
as people show up at my, my town halls, it scares even my opponents. We meet your mom when we meet her? We meet your girlfriend? You will, of course, at some point. Okay, great. Where is she hiding? Why is, yeah. wait, why is Brian Kilmeade single shaming him? This reminds me of my mom before I met my husband. Like, headline, Alyssa is still single. Well, it does remind me of every woman that's ever walked the earth has yeah. been asked, well, where's the man? So, there you go. Uh, that is The View, thinking I'm single-shaming Senator Tim Scott. Am I? And do you think I forced him to propose? I think that you pushed this across the finish line. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> After that interview, he went ring shopping. So the way and I, that's a rumor. She proposed, uh, he proposed and got an acceptance from Mindy Nose, his girlfriend who's an interior designer. So mm-hmm. she doesn't have to be a girlfriend. She's got another career. Uh, they call it a whirlwind. Would you call it a whirlwind? It's I a year. would. I think, yeah. Me, but when you're an adult, I think you know what you're looking for. Right, and you think she knew? I think so. I, you know me. I love this because they met at church. They were in a Bible study together. This is right up my alley. The women of the Bible have spoken. Right. This, and is, this is this is. You think there'll work. be a Tim Scott chapter? Or <laughs> I'm gonna have to do a. You know, I'm gonna have to do another book. We did love stories of the Bible, and maybe I add some chapters, and maybe Tim and Mindy get in there. Maybe it's just their story. I'm gonna have to talk to him about the exclusive. Rights. One story. We'll have to see <laughs> if we can make a movie. Do you believe that he is a legitimate vice presidential candidate now that he's rounded out his life? I do. I, I don't think, obviously, the proposal had anything to do with it. I think that he had such a resonance with people in Iowa. They loved him. They didn't need what he was offering because they felt like evangelicals felt like they were getting it from Trump, the pro-life stuff right, and whatever. Because he's so religious. He is. You say that like it's a bad thing. No, no, no. He, don't make me punch you in the, the face. He was, asked, he was asked, what's your favorite Bible passage? He says he likes all of them. Oh, wait, we're talking about President Trump? Yeah. Now, because Tim Scott quotes scripture no, all the Tim, time. No, Tim Scott's the... I do the, think the, it's right to like all of the Bible. Right. I support so that position. Right. Absolutely. But you know, you saw in Iowa when Tim Scott was actively campaigning there, people loved kind of this hopeful, optimistic thing from him. When you talk to him on policy, banking, and all of the different committees and things he served on, he's a very deep guy. And I don't think people get to hear him talk about policy Not as enough. much. They, they want to talk about his personal life and what a nice guy he is. But I think he would bring a lot to the ticket. Right. Uh, other people... Elise Stefanik, mm-hmm. Christy Nome. Mm-hmm. They're saying Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I, I mean, I think eventually she's going to run for president herself. But well, why not in, start out as vice president? Right. I mean, is she old enough? It's a good spring where I did have to Google people because I was like, are these people thirty five years old? Right. I did that for <laughs> Elise Stefanik. I'm like, yep, she is. Yeah. They're they're old enough. And uh, Christy Nome. So who? Uh, Byron Donalds. Mm-hmm. Will probably another. And Lee Zeldin. I know is being screened mm-hmm. and vetted. Uh, yeah, and I agree. So the big thing they had the other night when Tim Scott came in and endorsed him, you saw Lee Zeldin and Elise Stefanik there on the stage with him. The next day, I went to a Trump event because we visited all the different events for the candidates here in New Hampshire. It was a packed house, and the President Trump wasn't even going to be there. It was Elise Stefanik, and people were so excited to see her. Her, right? So she's got buzz, too. I think they all do. I That's who I'm, I was told not to do predictions. This is some professional. Have to Wait, if Britt Hume, Hume is, listen, we, we trust to. the Godfather. He right? says don't make predictions. He says don't. We shouldn't. I don't know. But I want to. We do want to. What is Vegas saying? Because you know they have betting odds on everything. They probably got odds on all these names. Right. And and they don't want to lose money, so they put some research in. Is that what you're saying? I've heard that. Well, put it this way. The betting odds right now are for Trump to win again. Can you imagine if Donald Trump won again? What do you mean? That's We're covering the campaign. We have to imagine that he could. Oh, I know. But can you imagine I mean, how far? I mean, not like if there's no campaign, there's no way. No, but I mean, can you imagine how far that's been? We have 
We have 91 charges and four indictments and you multiple. You don't. I don't. Ah. We don't. <laughs> we don't want any of that. Right. But, but you know, it doesn't that. matter. Even if he were convicted on charges and sitting in a jail cell, which there's a lot of here between here and there, right. um, he can run for president from jail if he wanted to. So you're not going to give my your prediction? On VP or yeah. president winning? Yeah. I think between now and November, there's a whole lot of politics that's going to happen and a whole lot of trials that are going to happen. You and I were going over them during the commercial, all the state trials, the federal trials. No, that was actually on the year. Oh, were we talking about yeah, it on we, the air? We, we I should be more careful about yeah. what I'm saying. I said some stuff I don't want on the air. Well, it's, it's too, too late. late now. It is way too late. But uh, the whole thing is to, if convicted, how many votes does he need and mm-hmm. lose? So what should I ask Donald Trump tonight? Are you going to be hanging out with him? That's right. You're getting on the plane. You yeah, we're gonna, I want to give fancy. more of a slice of life, like what you're dealing with, who's going to go over it right before he goes on stage. Yeah, I know he writes in, mm-hmm. in Sharpie. I want to ask him Chick-fil-A versus Kentucky Fried Chicken, because that's a national debate he needs to weigh in on. Well, I don't that's ever I hear him talk know. about Chick-fil-A, do you? Chick-fil-A is actually good for you. Kentucky Fried Chicken is not. That's what I'm saying. I need to know where he falls on these important issues. All right. But see, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on shows of substance, not like I this Fox News Sunday, more of a gossip is, show. Is Baron six foot seven? Yes, Fox News Sunday is very gossipy. <laughs> Entertainment <laughs> tonight. <laughs> That's what we do on right. Sunday morning. And I was saying you should really get more of our substance. Does, Bar- does Baron have lifts in his shoes, or is he really six foot that, seven? You know what? That would be fantastic. <laughs> I, am, I am stealing that, Shannon. I'm going to write it is, down for you. All right. Up. Just go. I just want to tell you something that's out there, and I just want you to, if you don't think it's true, you I more need you have, to address it. Right. It does, does Does Baron have lifts in his shoes? He's about six seven. Mm-hmm. Or hey, is he? Is he taller than Przingis? I don't know. Who's set, you don't even know what that is. I don't. He's is seven, that a sports he's, person? He's 7'2". Who does he play for? Um, now he plays for the Celtics. He played for a lot of teams. Had a okay. little problem with discipline. Oh. He also had a brother that wanted him to make more money. Okay. He was his agent. Here's my question. Can you? Well, brother's agent is tricky. <laughs> but can you wear lifts in your sneakers? Like, say you're playing basketball yes. on the court. Could you? No doubt. Would it help you? Yeah. Oh, I think it could. Um, if it lifts you up, like, for example, insoles. There's athletic insoles where it lifts your arch up. Do you oh, have flat okay. feet? No. Oh. Not that I know of. I do. I wear I wear these little <laughs> straps around my arches. No, you don't. Uh, no, these are actually insoles I'm wearing now. But I want I, you to take I, your shoes off right now so I can see. All right. These are actual insoles. Look, what, what is with the shoe tying situation you have there? People, I'm going to tweet out Brian's shoes right now. You need to see what's going on Thanks in there. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who showed up in Joliet, Illinois last night. Thank you, Shannon Bream. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.